talked a lot last week uh, about setting yourself up for spiritual success in 2019. And we went through uh, a couple things. We're going to recap a little bit of that tonight. And then we're going to talk about taking that externally, if you will. We were talking a lot about that internal transformation, and that is foundational. Uh, Unless you experience an internal transformation, you cannot experience an external transformation. Because Christianity is an inside-out transformation, not an outside-in. That's why the law doesn't work. And no matter how many rules and regulations you try and put on yourself or put on other people, it never works. Because we have to be transformed from the inside out. So let's look at some of the things we talked about from last week. Remember, what we're, what we're looking at is really it's the discipleship process. That's really what it is. It is how do I become a disciple of Jesus Christ? That's the whole message of the gospel. It's, it's not just about going to heaven one day. That's not what the gospel is about. Heaven, if you will, is a byproduct. God is not looking to populate heaven. God is looking to reestablish the relationship he intended to have with us from the beginning. That's what we see in Genesis chapter 3, in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 rather. In Genesis 1 and 2, God created uh, Adam and Eve. And he entered into a relationship with them. That was the intent. That was the goal. There was nothing separating them. It, was talk, it talks about God walking in the, in the garden in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. And uh, it, it, was, it wasn't until Genesis chapter 3 that there was a separation, that they hid from God. And this is what sin does. It causes us to run. It causes us to hide. And it creates a separation in our relationship with the Lord. From Genesis 3 all the way to Revelation 22, God is in the business of restoring what he intended to have in the very beginning. Genesis 3 is the separation. In Revelation 22, we see the restoration. And that's what it's going to look like in the end. God will restore all things, and we will have that relationship back again. But in the process is the gospel. The gospel is the pathway to get us back into relationship with God. There has to be some sort of uh, atonement. That's that biblical word, that theological word, the atonement for sin. Something or someone has to pay for our sin. And that's what the Old Testament teaches us uh, through the sacrificial system, that uh, through the shedding of blood, that sins are forgiven. And ultimately, of course, it was a foreshadow for Christ and the shedding of Jesus' blood. And that's why, you know, we just celebrated communion on on Sunday. We talk about that through the blood, we have the forgiveness of sins. And that's that aspect of the atonement. Jesus shed his blood for forgiveness of sins. Now that sins are forgiven, we have an ability to re-enter that relationship God wanted to have with us from the very beginning. But it's not just a matter of, okay, I pray the prayer, walk the aisle, sign the card, become a church member. That's not the totality of discipleship. That's just the entry into the discipleship process. And a lot of times in Christianity, when we talk about the gospel, when we talk about discipleship, we only focus on our future destination. We get to go to heaven one day. And yeah, we do get to go to heaven one day. 
But the gospel is so much bigger than that. The gospel is about what happens in our lives today. What happens tomorrow? Because, yeah, I get to go to heaven one day, but what about today? You know, I was just on the phone with, with, with somebody who's having a bad day. And in that conversation and in our lives, God wants to enter into our today through relationship to bring us to a point where we can walk in victory. One of the aspects of the gospel is that Jesus has already defeated the enemy. Jesus has defeated sin, hell, death, and the grave. It's done. It's, it, there's a period at the end of it is finished. In fact, it's more like an exclamation point. It is finished. When Jesus said those words on the cross, meant it was finished. It is finished. But there's still an aspect of it being manifest in your life. Let me give you an illustration. In law enforcement, I was a police officer for 10 years, so I'll use a law enforcement illustration here. The state legislature is the body that makes the laws in the state of Texas. So in the state of Texas, it is illegal to drive while intoxicated. The state legislature has said it is illegal to drive while intoxicated. Period. End of sentence. It is their job to make that decisions. They've already made that. It is declared. It is decreed. You know, as the old, you know, Pastor Hughes brings up the old uh, uh, Ten Commandments where Yul Brenner said, so let it be written, so let it be done. So it has been written. It's in a book. It's called the Penal Code. I studied it when I went through the academy. It is done. But here's the thing. As a police officer, it is my job to enforce that law where it is not being followed. In the spiritual world, Jesus has already declared victory over the enemy. It is done. It is finished. It is written, if you will. But it is our job as Christians, spiritual law enforcers, if you will, to enforce that victory where we find the enemy still trying to defeat us. And that occurs in our daily life. In every day, the enemy's trying to defeat you. In every day, the enemy's trying to overcome you. You have everything you need to walk in victory. You just don't realize it. I just don't realize it. That's the part of discipleship that God is walking us through. And he does that through experience. It's not just knowledge. Information cannot transform our lives. Only Jesus can do that. I'm, again, I'm not against information. I'm not against doctrine and theology. I'm a director of a Bible college. I mean, I love doctrine and theology. And there's a place for doctrine and theology. But doctrine and theology cannot replace Jesus. So a lot of people who know a lot of doctrine and theology whose lives are an absolute mess. And there's a lot of people who know a lot of theology that don't know Jesus. There's bookstores full of books of people who've written books about doctrine and theology that don't know Jesus. So don't think I'm against doctrine and theology. I'm not. I love it. I, I enjoy it. I love learning more. But the aspect of discipleship is not about how much you know. It's about who you're becoming. God's not interested in changing your behavior. He's interested in changing your character. Because when your character changes, your behavior naturally follows. 
you cannot consistently act in a way that is contrary to your behavior. I mean, your character. At some point, you are going to follow your character. And that's where you need to really begin. I need to begin. We all need to begin to examine our lives. When I, I, I went through the Celebrate Recovery program back in 2009. And in that program, part of that program is learning to examine your life. Step number four is we took a, a, a fearless moral inventory of ourselves. And it's anything but fearless. <laughs> to take a moral inventory of all the good, the bad, and the ugly. That is a scary thing. But the aspect of discipleship is God does that for us and in us and through us all the time. We may not be in the Celebrate Recovery program, but God is getting, trying to get us to take a fearless moral inventory. Because here's the thing. God's not afraid of your sin. He's not afraid of it. We're the ones who are afraid of it, but he's not. He already knows it. And just because you admit you did something doesn't all of a sudden bring a revelation to God. He's like, whoa, you did what? I'm out of here. It's not a surprise to God. It may be a surprise to us, but it is not a surprise to God. So in this process of examining ourselves, and most people don't want to do it. Most Christians avoid an examination at all costs. But you cannot grow as a disciple unless you're willing for God to walk you through an examination process. And that's what I want to get to tonight is this examination process because it's like a spiritual x-ray. See, when you go to the doctor and and the doctor takes an x-ray and the doctor comes back and shows you the results of the x-ray, they don't look at the x-ray and go, you know, there's this spot on your lung and, you know, it doesn't circle the x-ray and go, wow, you're a loser. What's wrong with you? You got something wrong with your lung. What, What is, get out of my office. I can't stand you. He doesn't do that. And neither does God. When God takes a spiritual x-ray of your life, he doesn't look at the sin in your life and go, wow, what a loser, what's wrong with you? He says, hey, just like the doctor, this is in you, let's get it out. Let's take you from a place of sickness to health. We're the ones who don't like looking at the x-ray because we allow the enemy to condemn us, but it's not God who's condemning us. So let's, let's look at that. I want, let me review real quick last week. One of the things we talked about is, is the composition of, of us. You know, we have three parts. And I represent that with the three circles. Okay, the three circles. Body, soul, and in the middle is the spirit. Now, when I talk about the soul, what I'm talking about is the mind, the will, and the emotions. Okay, it's you. It's your personality. It's who you are. This is not me. I'm on the inside. In the center is the spirit. Now, when we're born, we're born with a spiritual genetic disease called sin. That's what the Bible calls it. Everybody is born with sin. If you're born on earth, you're born with sin. If you're not born on earth, I want to have a conversation with you because I want to know where you're from. Here's the thing. If you're born on earth, you're born with sin. And that sin infects your soul. It infects the way you think, the way you feel, and the way you act. And that, it's this infection that leads to the actions or behavior that we traditionally call 
sin, whatever this is. And we're going to talk about this tonight. But the source of that is this. In the gospel, here's what the gospel does. Theologians call it the great exchange. The reason they call it the great exchange is because Jesus offers to exchange your sin for his righteousness. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. How does that happen? He takes that sin core out and he replaces it with his truth through the power of the Holy Spirit. What is that truth? That we are righteous in his sight. We have become partakers of the divine nature. If any man is in Christ, he is he or she is a new creation. All things of God, behold, the new has come. Everything you need to become a fully committed disciple of Jesus Christ is already in you if you're in Jesus. Amen. You just don't know it yet. You haven't figured it out. It hasn't gone from your spirit into your soul yet. And here's the difference between the law and the gospel. The law works out here and tries to work its way in here. That won't work. The gospel starts here to work its way in here. Because the law focuses on the external behaviors or the external action. Don't do this, don't do that, you know, don't all this stuff, you know, I don't do this, and we're, we, we put these rules and regulations out there, and we say, that's what makes you a good person. No, it doesn't. Because just because I can stop this for a while doesn't mean I've gotten rid of this, okay? If you've got pneumonia, and you're coughing, and you take cough medicine and get rid of the cough, that doesn't mean you've gotten rid of pneumonia, Or if that cough is a result of cancer, doesn't mean I don't have cancer anymore. Cough syrup doesn't have the power to heal cancer. It may get rid of the cough. And what does it do? It gets rid of a symptom, but it doesn't get rid of the source. That's what the law does. It tries to get you to get rid of the symptom, but it has no power over the source. Only Jesus has power over sin, period. The, the, The law does not have power. Over sin. That's why the law was never meant to save. Uh, Paul says, if there could have been a law that brought righteousness, God would have brought it. If there was, why in the world would he have sacrificed Jesus? In the Garden of Gethsemane, there's Jesus on his knees, just pouring his heart out to the Father, saying, if there's any other way. I mean, seriously, have we really thought thought this through? Is there any other way? But there wasn't. Because the only way was the sacrifice of his blood. That's why nothing else works but the gospel. So the gospel works from the inside out, not the outside in. So we talked about last week the power of the the word of God. Because when you read the word of God, it's like spiritual medicine. Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing between soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and is a discerner or a revealer of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And that part of it, that second part of that verse, a revealer of the thoughts and intents of the heart, is the spiritual x-ray part. We're going to talk about that. But remember, we talked last week that the number one goal of the Bible is not to inform your mind, it's to transform your life. Information comes, but transformation has to be first. 
So as you read the Word of God, you're feeding your spirit, and that, that allows the truth to begin to infect, in a good way, your soul. And as it infects your soul, it begins to overcome the source of the sin. And if you get rid of the source, guess what goes with it? The symptom. If you have cancer and it's causing a cough and the doctor gets rid of the cancer, guess what goes with it? The cough. So we want to get rid of not just the symptom, we want to get rid of the source. So that's what I want to get to tonight, is let's talk about how we begin this process of transformation and and this spiritual x-ray in the process of discipleship. This is really important. And this is the part that most people want to to skip. They want to go from praying the prayer, walking the aisle, signing the card, becoming a church member, into instant perfect person. (laughs) That doesn't happen. There's nobody on earth that I've ever met that prayed the prayer, walked the aisle, signed the card, and became a church member, and bam, God zapped them, and they were completely healed. Doesn't happen. Now, you're thinking, well, I've heard testimonies of people, you know, they, they got saved, and, and the Lord just radically changed their lives. Yeah, they, they did. or they, they experienced that. But what you're hearing is the one area that God transformed that was radically transformed on the spot. Maybe they were delivered of drugs or alcohol or something. But what you're not hearing is all the other stuff that they're still struggling with. Nobody on planet Earth has ever been radically transformed in an instant to where everything was gone. It doesn't happen. The testimonies you hear are just one part of their life. And I'm not saying they're lying. I'm not saying that at all. They're celebrating what God did, absolutely. And he does do that, and that's great. But all of us have to go through the process of transformation. That's what discipleship is all about. Because discipleship is not, again, it's not about information. You have to experience the power of God transforming your life. You just can't know about the power of God transforming your life. And when I talk about experience, I'm not just talking about an experience in the altar. And there's nothing wrong with that. What I'm talking about is an experience of God transforming you into the person he created you to be in the first place. The person I am today is completely different than the person that, that, that got on his knees 23 years ago and said, Lord, if there's anything you do with my life, have at it. It's taken 23 years to get me to this point. The discipleship process is not short. And there's a pattern you see all the way through the Bible. Joseph, Moses, David, all these people took years to be transformed. There's only one person where God picked them and immediately tried to put them into their calling, and they were an abject failure, and that was King Saul. There was zero transformation process for him, and he ended up being a zero. To the point where God said, man, I I am sorry I have made King Saul king. That's pretty bad when God says, man, I'm sorry I did that. But in that season, God began to raise up David. And God anointed David through Samuel, but then another 15 or 17 years of transformation, not just 
open the door for David. It turned David into a king before he was crowned king. That's what discipleship is all about. God has a purpose for you. You know, we say this all the time at Turning Point. You were created on purpose for a purpose. There is a purpose for you. God has that. He spoke that over you the day you were conceived. But he first has to transform you into that person before you do whatever it is he's called you to do. And that's what we have to understand is this transformation process. So let's look at this this spiritual examination, this external side that is contingent upon the internal side. You know, in Galatians chapter 5, there's, there's a list. There's two lists, actually. There's the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Now, these are not to do and to don't lists, okay? Don't look at these as the works of the flesh are, these are things I'm not supposed to do, and the fruit of the Spirit are things I am supposed to do. This is not a to do and to don't list that God says, here, don't do these things, do do these things, go get them. Because you can't. Because we don't have power over sin. Only Jesus does. That's why the fruit of the Spirit is called the fruit of the Spirit and not the fruit of the flesh. It's the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is a natural byproduct of the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in your life through the discipleship process. You cannot produce the fruit of the Spirit on your own. It is impossible. Jesus said, if you abide in me and I in you, you will produce much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. If you try and do, uh, manifest the fruit of the Spirit in your life, you're, gonna, you're just going to completely fail. Because we, you and me, cannot do that on our own. If we could, we wouldn't need Jesus. But we can certainly do the works of the flesh. Those are not hard. Those come fairly easy to the flesh. So let me look at these two lists real quick. Here's the works of the flesh. This starts in Galatians chapter 5, starting in uh, verse... 19, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and, the things, uh, uh, and things like these. It, it, it's an, you know, he adds that tag on to the end, and things like these, because you could go on forever. There's no end to that list. Then he contrasts it with... But, in verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How many people would like a little bit more self-control in your life? Yeah, come on, we're going to need an altar call here. Self-control, this is what everybody wants. But the Bible is very clear. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. It is not an act of the will. You cannot will yourself into self-control. I don't care how hard you try. It is impossible. And this is where most Christians miss the aspect of discipleship. They try harder. It's admirable, 
but it doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. I don't care how hard you try. If you are not being transformed, you cannot reasonably expect more self-control in your life. It's impossible because it's a fruit of the Spirit. So if you're not seeing self-control in your life, it doesn't mean you need to try harder. It means you need to be transformed more. And that transformation is a process. See, we don't want a process. We want an instant microwave Christianity. Can I just put it in two minutes and be done? You know, can I just go in there real quick? Two minutes and I'm out. And I'll be perfect. Mm -mm, Doesn't work. It's impossible. You know, we live in an American Idol society where everybody wants to be discovered, but nobody wants to be developed. And that has creeped into the church. You know, we talk all the time about, you know, be in the world, but not of the world. Well, that aspect, that attitude, that perception of Christianity, of wanting to be discovered but not developed, is of the world. It's not biblical by any stretch of the imagination. There is nowhere in the Bible where you see somebody, or God coming into somebody and go, Wow, where have you been all my life? Let's go. I've discovered you, and I'm cleaning you up, and go and get them. Doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. Every single person, you look at that that list in Hebrews 11, the roll call of faith, every single person was developed. Nobody was discovered. So if you're sitting around waiting for God to discover you, man, I hope you got a lot of popcorn. It's going to be a while because it's not going to happen. But if you're willing to be developed, God's sitting here right now waiting for you. Come on, let's go. Let's go. Let's get this thing going. So let's talk about this this examination process. How do I know if I need to be developed? Well, one, if you're a human being, you need to be developed. Everybody needs to be developed. But let's look at these lists, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. So I'm not going to list them all out for, for time's sake. So we'll put works over here and fruit over here. Now, think about your life for a minute. I'm not going to ask anybody to come up and make any lists here. (laughs) Just amongst yourselves. Think about this for a minute. And I'm going to read these out again. Think about the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. In the context of your life. Now, I'm not talking about a single incident. Okay? Everybody messes up. Nobody's going to be perfect. And I'm not talking about perfection by any stretch of the imagination. You will never be perfect. The other aspect of the gospel is that not only does it cover our past sins, it covers our present and our future sins. Here's the thing about Christianity that God already knows. You cannot be perfect. And he's already built that in to the gospel so that when you do mess up we have an advocate with the father who intercedes on our behalf and in the moment we mess up we can call upon that advocate and he will forgive our sin so do not receive this as condemnation The only person who condemns you is the enemy. 
It's the only person who condemns you. You are beginning a spiritual examination right now. And the only one in this room who's going to look at you and go, wow, you're a loser, is the enemy. Period. What's the difference between condemnation and conviction? The Holy Spirit does convict. The enemy condemns. Condemnation drives you away from God. Conviction draws you to God. So anything that pushes you away from God is not from God. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, what did they do? They ran from God. Why? Because they were under condemnation. Condemnation always drives you away. Conviction pulls you in. Let me give you another illustration of this. I don't know if you remember when you were in high school uh, and you were maybe in a math class or, or maybe a physics class or something, and you, you were trying to get this problem right, and you kept coming up with the wrong answer. I just can't figure out why this doesn't add up. And the teacher comes over and says, oh, well, because your formula's wrong. And the teacher adjusts your formula, and you go, oh, now I get it. And it encourages you to keep going. That's conviction. Condemnation would be as if your teacher came over and go, what do you mean you can't figure this out? What a loser you are. And it causes you to draw back. That's the difference. God always encourages you and draws you in. So if, as we go through these lists, you start feeling pushed away, I'm telling you right now that is the enemy. It is not God. Okay? But we still have to do this process. We have to go through this process. Okay, so let's look at these lists, the works and the fruit. So on the works, here it is. Just think about your life over the last six months and look at if you see any of this going on in your life. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. All right, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but you can do it inside. Anybody see any of that going on in their life? All right, I'll raise my hand because I see it. All right, if you're human and you're in this room, you just raise your hands on the inside. Now, on the flip side is the fruit. The fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, if you are a Christian, you should see some degree of those nine, somewhere, even a tiny bit, going on in your life. Again, I'm not going to raise your, ask you to raise your hand, but you should see something of those things to a degree. I'm not talking about perfection by any stretch of the imagination. There should be some of that in there. And, and I know sometimes it's hard when you go through that, that, that works of the flesh, and you look at the fruit of the Spirit, and go, mm, man, I'm so drawn over here because, man, I just, I'm really messing up. Let me give you another illustration. Uh, years and years ago, I had the opportunity to, to pray for some women who were in a recovery program. And as I was going down the line praying for them, I, I was talking to this one, and she was just really condemned. She was just really, really, she said, man, I'm so tempted to run out that door and go back to, dr- to drinking and, and doing drugs and, and all that. And I said, well, okay, I, I get that. So there's the door. Why don't you go? She's like, well, what do you mean? You know, she wasn't expecting that answer. So, well, the, there's, the, nobody's got a gun to your head. Nobody's holding your family hostage, so why aren't you running out the door? She's like, because oh, I don't want to do that. Oh, okay. So six months ago, before you became a Christian, would you have run out that door and not thought twi- twice about it? She's like, oh, yeah, I had no problem. I loved it. I enjoyed it. 
I said, okay, so why today do you not want to do it? And all of a sudden, the light bulb went on. She went, oh my gosh, I've never noticed that before. My desire changed. Why? Because Jesus is in you. Because Jesus is in you. Here's the thing. Discipleship is a process. If you look at these lists and you see, okay, I got a lot of the works of the flesh going on in my life, but you also have a desire to have this, and you're not going, oh, yeah, I love this. I don't want to have anything to do with this side. I want to stay here. I love living here. Okay, that's the problem. The problem isn't that you're seeing some of this. The problem is you like seeing this, and it doesn't bother you. And I don't want to change. That's the problem. The problem isn't that you see this. Because at some point, our desire has to change first. Because we never do something we don't want to do, right? The desire always comes first. And that's that inside transformation. For the first time, this girl realized, oh, man, There's something different in me that's incompatible with this. I've never seen that before. That means there's someone in you. There's a new person in you. There's a new creation in you that is incompatible with the works of the flesh. And that tension is showing you there's somebody new wanting to come out. You should feel that tension. It's not about perfection of getting rid of this. Now, you should see a continual progression this way. But again, it's not about perfection. So how does this progression work? How does this progression occur? Well, last week, you know, we talked about that, the aspect of that, what I call the prescription for life, of being in the Word every day. You have to put yourself in a position every single day to begin to experience that transformation. It is not accidental. Transformation is intentional. It is not accidental. You can't just show up on Sunday and go the rest of the week on your own doing nothing intentional and expect to be transformed. It doesn't work that way. As good as Pastor Jeff is, he's no substitute for Jesus. As good as Adrian Rogers or Tony Evans or Ravi Zacharias or anybody else, Billy Graham, nobody's a substitute for Jesus. You have to intentionally put yourself in a position to be transformed. And here's how you do it. Number one, you've got to be in that word every single day. If you're seeing this stuff in your life and you don't want it there, Trying harder is not going to work. That's why self-help doesn't work. Now, I'm not against self-help in and of itself. You know, positive motivation, all, you know, changing your mindset, that's great. But it has a limit. It can only work in the physical. It doesn't have spiritual power. Only Jesus has spiritual power. So you need the spiritual side to overcome the sin. Because that's what the root of all our problems are, is sin. So as we position ourselves to, to, to overcome these works, you know, I was just talking a minute ago about, you know, the, the math class, and, you know, you're using the wrong formula. 
and you couldn't get to the answer. And a lot of us in, in Christianity are using the wrong formula. Now, okay, technically there isn't a formula, if you will, in Christianity, but I'm going to give you one real quick. If there was, this would be it. Okay, here's how this process works. It's really simple. If you want to see progress in your life, it's not about perfection, it's about progress. You should be further along today than you were yesterday, and you should be doing something today intentionally to set yourself up to be further along tomorrow than you are today. And that progress is going from the works into the fruit. And the number one thing in that fruit is self-control. Because self-control is, what you're gonna, is what's going to get you out of the works. And you need more self-control. The more self-control you, ha- you have, the less works of the flesh you're going to see. So you need to progress forward in self-control. How do you get there? Progress equals consistency over time. That's it. There's your formula. Consistency over time equals progress. If you are not consistent over time, you cannot reasonably expect to see progress. If you want to lose weight, you have to be consistent in doing what it takes, going to the gym, changing your diet, and all, consistently over time. If you want to gain muscle and you want to be able to lift 250 pounds or bench 250 pounds and you walk into the gym and you can barely push the bar, You've got to be consistent in going to the gym over time to eventually be able to bench press 250 pounds. It doesn't happen overnight. If you try and lift 250 pounds off that rack the first time you're there, you're going to end up choking yourself. And it's the same thing spiritually. If you're trying to stop all the works of the flesh today, you're going to end up choking on it. doesn't work that way. If there's something in your life you don't like, you have to intentionally put yourself in a position to experience the progress of transformation. What does that look like? It looks like being in the Word every day. That's the number one thing. Because when you get in the Word every day, and we talked about that spiritual x-ray, that second half of Hebrews 4.12. Hebrews 4.12 says, the Word of God is living and active, and sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing between soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and is a revealer or a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. What does that mean? Here's what it means. As you get in the Word, and the Word starts getting in you, it starts dividing between your soul and your spirit, the truth and the sin. And it begins revealing the thoughts and intents of the heart. It begins revealing in you those things that are incompatible with who you're becoming. Just like with this girl when I was praying for her. There was an incompatibility in her with doing drugs and the person she was becoming. It's incompatible. And the Lord was revealing that to her. And in that revelation... You now have a choice. Am I going to grab hold of this truth or am I going to hold on to the sin? That was her choice. And as we were standing there, she was still holding on to the truth. She was holding on, bare knuckle, you know, white knuckle, barely holding on. I I want to run out that door. But she was still holding on. 
And part of that holding on is surrounding yourself with other believers. If you want to be consistent over time to make progress, you cannot do it by yourself. Just like losing weight or going to the gym. Why do do gyms have professional trainers? Because you need it. The vast majority of people here in January are going to make a decision, a resolution, that I'm going to go to the gym three times a week. And 24-hour fitness, Planet Fitness, all these other places, all of a sudden, are going to make buco bucks in, in, in membership fees because, you know, 15,000 people are going to go, I want to go to the gym. But by March, they're gone. Why? Because they're doing it by themselves. You can't do it by yourself. It's impossible. This is why Paul tells us not to forsake the assembling together of ourselves. I need you and you need me. This whole attitude of, I don't need the church, I can do it all by myself. No, you can't. That is a lie of the enemy to isolate you. When I was a police officer, I never said, man, there's 15 guys over there with machine guns. I got it. I'll be right back, boys. We'll see you in a minute. Uh, No. If I knew there was something bad going on, I'm making sure I got the cavalry with me. Because on my own, I'm toast. But when I'm together with the body, there's no stopping us. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16 to Peter, you know, he asked who, you know, his disciples, who do, you, who do you say I am or who do men say I am? And then who do you say I am? Peter said, oh, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then Jesus says this. He says, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stop it. He did not say upon this rock I will build my individual. He said I will build my church. Ecclesia, the called out ones. It's not the institution he's talking about because the institution didn't exist. It was just the called, that's what the word in, in, in Greek means, ecclesia, the called out ones. This is why being in a life group or a small group, celebrate recovery, is so important because you begin to gather together and you hold each other accountable. That's what your trainer does at the gym. He or she holds you accountable. Where were you last week? Well, you know, I had a bad week. Okay, good. Let's get back in here right now. Let's go. Come on. Keep going. We have to do it together. If you want to be consistent over time for progress, you have to do it together. You've got to be in the Word, and you have to have a togetherness. You've got to have a team of, of people. We call it an accountability group. A small. I don't care what you call it. It doesn't matter. It's not the label that matters. What matters is you're intentionally putting yourself in position to be transformed by God. That's what matters. So as God gets this word in you, he begins the spiritual x-ray. Now, there's a lot of people I've talked to over the years that, you know, the more they get into the word, the more they realize how much sin they've got in their life. Like, oh, I had no idea I was doing this, or I had no idea this motivation was in here. And... Again, the enemy will come along and use that to condemn you. And I'll say, boy, you're an even bigger loser than I realized. What's wrong with you? 
that is, that is a lie. If you're getting into the word and you're realizing there's more stuff in you than you realized, you're in the right place. That is the normal process of discipleship. And again, because people don't like this spiritual x-ray, the, as soon as God begins revealing this stuff to them, you know what they do? Whoop, they close that Bible and they run. And all they do is cut themselves off from being more transformed. It's like going to the doctor, getting the x-ray, and the doctor says, hey, you know, you got this thing in here, let's get it out. And you go, eh, I'm not going under the knife, I'm out of here. It's exactly the same way. It's exactly the same thing. You cannot be healed that way. And you cannot be healed spiritually that way either. You have to be willing to get in and allow God to reveal this stuff to you. That's what that fearless moral inventory in Celebrate Recovery is all about. You spiritually vomit, if you will, and realize, wow, look at all that stuff that was in me. I had no idea. But guess who did? God. God knew that. He knows it's there. You know, one of the, one of the, the um, metaphors that God uses is the, the refining process of gold, the refiner's fire. When you put gold into the fire, what happens? The dross or the impurities come to the surface. And when you, when, 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 when the, 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 blacksmith or whoever's doing it sees that dross, they don't go, whoa, that that gold is worthless, and throw it out. They clean the top of it, removing the dross, leaving the pure gold underneath. How do you you get to a, a, a purity of gold? You put it under fire until the dross comes to the surface, and they clean off the dross leaving the gold. Here's what happens in discipleship. God puts you under the fire of the word and the circumstances of life and the pressures of life and it brings that dross to the surface and here's what we do. We focus on the dross and go, wow, I'm a loser and we walk away and God's saying, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. I want to get that because once I remove that, the pure gold of your faith is sitting right underneath it. Don't stop the process. We need to focus on the gold, not the dross. Because God's already taken care of the dross. He's already covered it with the blood of Jesus Christ. He's not afraid of bringing it to the surface because all he does is wipe it away. And that pure gold that is already within you comes to the top. And that's where you become the new person God created you to be. And then he adds a little bit more fire, and guess what? A little bit more stuff comes to the top. But every time this happens, less and less stuff comes to the top. It's the first time that's the hardest, because that's when the most stuff comes up. like, ugh. But if you can just push through that, that's why you need other people around you to help you get through that. And as you get through that, he wipes it off. He'll let you rest for a little while, but then he'll bring the pressure in back, and then more stuff comes, wipes it up, and you just keep going through this process. But every time you go through this process, you become more and more like Jesus. Paul says in Romans 8.28 that 
All things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We quote that all the time. But what we, what we forget is that 8.28 is tied to 8.29. Chapter 8 doesn't stop with verse 28. Because we, we focus on, you know, all things work together for the good of those who, call, who are called according to his purpose. Okay? And we want to say that, well, that means everything's going to work out for my good. It's not what it says. Everything's going to work out for my comfort. It's not what it says. Everything's going to work out the way I want it. It's not what it says. It says, all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. In 829, Paul writes, for whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of Christ. The good in 828 is the character of Christ in 829. That's the good that God's after. Not your comfort, not your peace, not your ease. It's the character. It's the gold underneath the dross. That's what he's after. That's what this process is all about, is all things work together. So all the circumstances in your life right now are working towards this process to bring progress in your life. I will close on this one point. There's so much more we could get into, but we just don't have time. <laughs> this circle represents the totality of your life. Okay? Here's you in the middle. So here's all the circumstances in your life. The good, the bad, and what I call the neutral. Okay? So there's good circumstances, whatever they are. Maybe that's, some of that's the fruit of the, of the Spirit. And there's bad circumstances. Maybe some of that's the works of the flesh. And maybe there's stuff that, you know, you made a bad decision and you're, you've got some consequences, whatever. Then there's what I call neutral circumstances. These are things that are in your life that are not a direct result of what you did. Maybe it's what somebody else did, and they can be good or bad. It all depends on your perspective of those. But here's the thing. Here's God. Now, I put God up here, not that he's outside your life, but that he is sovereign over your life. Okay? So don't look at this, well, God's outside my life. No. He is sovereign over the entire totality of your life. And God either authors, I'm just using A's for here, or allows authors or allows everything that goes on in your life under the auspices of Romans 8, 28, and 29. All these things are working together for your good, for the purpose of you becoming like Christ. There is nothing that occurs in your life that God is either not authored or allowed He is sovereign over everything. And that is everything. That's not just the Sunday morning stuff. There's no such thing as secular for a Christian. Everything is spiritual. Your job, whatever it is, wherever you work, the circumstances at at home or your family or whatever, whatever's been done to you, whatever you've done, all those things. You know, the perfect example is Joseph. When Joseph was sold into slavery and then thrown into prison, God allowed, he didn't author those things, but he allowed them. 
And through that process, God turned Joseph into the prince of Egypt before he was named prince of Egypt. That process had to take place first. And that's what God is doing in your life. This is God's laboratory, if you will, to turn you into a, into a fully committed disciple of Jesus Christ. If you remember in high school, if you had a physics class or chemistry class, you had the classroom portion, and then you had the lab portion. In the lab portion, you got to work out all that stuff you were learning in the textbook. That's what life is about. Life is the laboratory where you work out all that stuff that God is teaching you in the Word. So when you look at your life and the circumstances of your life, do not look at them in isolation. And that's what we do all the time. And when we do, you know what we ask? Why me? Why me? Why me? Why me? And we look at our life from the perspective of a victim instead of a victor. And we allow the circumstances to dictate our identity instead of God through the gospel. Because, you know, what... what, what people want is they want God to fix our circumstances in spite of us. It's not what God does. God fixes our circumstances through us. Because in that process, you discover who He is in you and who you are in Him. He is not going to change your circumstance. He's going to change you and teach you that you're a victor over that circumstance. So we need to quit asking God to change our circumstances and say, hey, change me. Change me to where I walk in victory over whatever this is. That's when you become a fully committed disciple and you begin to understand who you are in him and who he is in you. That is the process of discipleship. So as we close, last week, we talked about the internal aspect of sin and that it, it, it infects the way we think, the way we feel, and the way we act. The gospel takes that sin core out and replaces it with truth. But that infection of sin is still there. And we need something to overcome that infection. And that's what the gospel and the word of God does. And that process of transformation, it is a holistic, if you will, process of how God turns you into a disciple of Jesus Christ through the power of the word, the fellowship of the saints, and the circumstances of your life. All things will work together for you because you are called according to his purpose and he has preordained you to become conformed to the image of his son, the character of Christ, to turn you into the person he's called you before he releases you to do those things that are ordained for you to do. Let's stand. So a few minutes ago, we looked at the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want, you, I want everybody to close your eyes for a minute. And I want you to think back to that moment a few minutes ago when we looked at the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. In the context of this circle of your life, the context of your life, and that God is sovereign over all those things. 
He sees every single one of them. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a minute and first of all, thank God for his sovereignty. Thank him that he is in control of everything. Thank him that anything that is in that circle of the context of your life is not designed to destroy you. Just as Joseph said to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. The enemy means it for evil, but God means it for good. And thank the Lord right now that all those things, the good, the bad, and the indifferent, are working together right now to turn you into a fully committed disciple of Jesus Christ. And now if... if in this whole process, you, you recognize, you know what? I'm just not intentionally putting myself in a position to be transformed by God. I want you to just, just confess that to the Lord right now. Just confess, you know what, Lord? Man, I've, I've just, I have not intentionally put myself in a position to be transformed. And I ask for your forgiveness. And I commit right now. That's the next thing I want you to do, to make that commitment before the Lord that you will put yourself in a position from this day forward to be transformed by the Lord. And in that, that, that commitment, there's the commitment to being consistent. Now, when I say consistent, I don't mean perfect. Just because you miss a day doesn't mean it's over. You just pick it up the next day. Consistency over time, not consistency in perfection. Just consistency over time. Just commit right now to the Lord that you will intentionally put yourself in a position to be transformed. You will seek a counsel of others to help keep you accountable, to help encourage you to walk with you through this process of transformation. And if you don't have anybody, ask the Lord right now to send you somebody. Ask the Lord right now, send somebody in my life that can help me in growing in you. So tonight, Father, we thank you. First of all, just for who you are. Lord, we thank you that you're a good, loving, merciful God. And tonight, your word over each and every one of us is peace. So, Lord, I thank you for each and every person. You have heard every single word that they've spoken in their hearts tonight. Lord, I thank you. Lord, I thank you that you have forgiven every single sin through the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. And that we stand before you not condemned, Lord, but redeemed forgiven, whole and complete in your sight. So Lord, I pray that you would continue Lord, to transform us from this day forward. And Lord, you would bless each and every person as they walk in this consistency of transformation. And Lord, you would give us wisdom in seeing our circumstances from your perspective. And Lord, we just thank you right now in advance that all things are working together for our good, for my good for their good to turn us into the person you called us to be to build in us the character of Christ and we just declare right now Jesus we are victors in Jesus tonight we are no longer victims there is no circumstance in our life tonight that has authority over us there is nothing that will defeat us we will 
walk in victory over every single circumstance. And in that victory, we will discover who we are in you and who you are in us. And Lord, we thank you for doing it. And all God's people said, amen. Give the Lord a hand tonight.